I'm Brett Chang. And I am Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Wednesday, March 15th, the Ides of March, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in less than seven minutes. Okay, so Jay, $89 is the annual subscription fee for Canadian Tire's new Triangle Rewards Program, but incoming quote-unquote Triangle Select members are being offered a $50 welcome gift and six-month creative subscription. It sounds a lot to me like a certain other membership program. Is it worth it? I don't don't know. I feel like six months of Crave comes with almost anything you get in Canada these days. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it would be, but I really don't want to say because I don't get gas at Canadian Tire's gas stations. My guess is if you do, it probably makes a lot more sense. I have no idea. I'm not sure about the details of this, but I hope that $50 is issued in Canadian Tire money, which would be a stack. Like it would just be huge. And so it'd be cool if you got a suitcase filled with it. A suitcase. Actually, a suitcase that you bought at Canadian Tire filled with Canadian Tire money. That would be good. It's also, it's the second time that a $50 gift card has been talked about on this podcast from a sort of iconic Canadian brand because Tim Hortons was giving it out instead of their $10,000. That's right. There's a trend. There's something in the air. $50. (laughs) There's something in the air. So I don't know if it's worth it. Whether it is or not, Brett, that's kind of beside the point. What do we have for Peak Talk today? For our first story, no more toxic tap water. For our second story, Canada controlling SVB. And for our last story, long COVID is a huge problem. For our first story, good news for all you tap water fans, of which I know you are one, Brett. The United States and Canada are moving towards making drinking water free of toxic chemicals. Well, I guess this begs the question. Tap water has toxic chemicals in it? Yeah, I know. It's shocking to me too, Jay. There's nothing better than an iced cold glass of Toronto's finest. So the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, proposed national standards that would force public water systems to restrict and remove PFAS chemicals, popularly known as forever chemicals, since they don't break down in nature in drinking water. PFAS chemicals are ubiquitous in modern day life, like Teflon nonstick products, stains and water repellents, paints, cleaning products, food packaging, and firefighting foams. Say that 10 times fast. Yeah, that's a tough one. The regulations will set hard limits on the amount of PFOA and PFOS, the two most pervasive and well-studied PFASs, along with a limit on the amount of four other chemicals grouped up under one umbrella. While the move has received praise from activists, critics have raised concern about impossible-to-meet standards and the high costs of the complicated PFAS removal process. Now, in Canada, the federal government has proposed its own objectives for limiting PFAS in drinking water, setting its target goal at 30 nanograms per liter, which is 7.5 times higher than the EPA's new allowable limits for PFOA and PFOS. The guidelines are currently open for public consultation, with the government expected to roll them out sometime in the next few years. The government claims that data suggests Canadian drinking water has a limited amount of PFAS in it, and that what is present is generally below the proposed limit, though PFAS could be more prevalent in locations like landfills and wastewater treatment plants. And here's why it matters, aside from the obvious. 98.5% of Canadians have some PFAS chemicals in their blood per a Health Canada study, which is concerning as high exposure to them has been linked to myriad health issues, including obesity, thyroid disease, liver damage, and even cancer. The bottom line is this. Concentrations of PFAS chemicals have dipped over time as they're phased out, but it's still a good idea to ensure we're not drinking them. I'll say. For our second story, Canada's banking regulator wants to be kept in the loop as Silicon Valley's bank's financial crisis ripples out. So Jay, let me just ask, how is Canada correcting or making up for the mess that SVB made? It's a good question. The Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions, which is a hard one to say, has asked for daily updates from Canada's banks on key financial measures to ensure the country's financial system stays stable in the wake of Silicon Valley Bank's collapse. Oh, OSFI? 
The OSFI is mainly concerned about liquidity. In other words, whether banks hold enough assets that can be converted into cash at lightning speed for withdrawals. The last time the OSFI, there I did it, that was much better, used this regulatory tool was in the early months of the pandemic, which represented a serious financial crisis in the grand scheme of things. Putting it back into place signals the regulator isn't messing around as it monitors the SVB situation. But here's the thing. There are a few key and reassuring differences between the Canadian and U.S. banking systems, whereas the U.S. has many smaller regional banks that ensure 50 to 70% of deposits. Deposits held in Canada's big banks are covered by a federal crown corporation. Over the 55 years of its existence, quote unquote, no one has ever lost a dollar protected by the Canada Deposit Insurance Corporation, according to a spokesperson. Wow, good hands. A Scotiabank analyst also told clients that the SVB crisis is actually a quote unquote vindication of the Canadian banking model. They definitely like to think so. And it's large and diversified players. Now to zoom out. Mm -hmm. Bank runs are not a new thing, and they're part of a very interesting story behind the creation of CIDC, which you can actually see. A University of Calgary prof tweeted about it, and we'll link to it in the show notes. For our third and final story, Canada's chief science advisor released a report on long COVID, claiming the illness could be a mass disabling event with the potential to ravage healthcare and the labor market. Driving the news, the new report raises red flags about the long-term health implications of long COVID for the Canadian population and details an 18-step framework for managing the disease, including creating a nationwide research and clinical care network. Following the report, the federal government announced $29 million for research into long COVID and the development of clinical guidelines. Long COVID is so devastating because of the wide range of symptoms it can cause and the fact that we still don't know how long it can last. A new University of Waterloo study linked COVID infections to reduced oxygen flow to the brain, causing long-term cognitive issues. Over 1.4 million Canadians have reportedly experienced COVID systems three months or more after their initial infection. That's roughly 15% of all adult Canadians who have contracted COVID. While many have fully recovered, others have had to significantly reduce their workload or drop out of the workforce entirely as they fight it. While analysis of long COVID's socioeconomic impact in Canada is scarce, analysis from other countries indicates significant impacts on the labor market and GDP per the report. What we do know is that those afflicted are already filing long-term disability claims for long COVID, and that number is only set to increase. This is happening alongside a spike in claims since the pandemic began for COVID-related sicknesses like diabetes and mental illness. The bottom line is we're still in the beginning stages of figuring out long COVID's impacts. Medical professionals still don't really have a clear consensus on how to define or diagnose it. But as we learn more, it's crucial that the powers that be are doing all they can to mitigate its harm. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to business news podcast in Canada. If you got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. Thank you, Brett. Have a good day, Peak Pals. And remember, beware the Ides of March. When you give me shock, when-